Well, good morning, family church. I can't uh, describe to you what a privilege it is and an honor it is um, to be able to worship alongside of you. Uh, I love, even on Sunday mornings, just being in the back of the sanctuary. And uh, I think we uh, may put down a lot of the people that get the back rows, um, back row Baptists and things as we call them, but uh, it, is a, it is a great place also because you get to see everyone in front of you worshiping the Lord. And so I just love being able to see people in worship to the Lord and and just how God is stirring your heart, how God is growing you, how he's molding you and your devotion for him. And so uh, we just give him praise. What an incredible thing. I think because we're around this, and I know I'm around this all the time, that we often forget the incredible blessing and privilege it is to be able to come to worship with the Lord. That we're able to sing songs together and worship him, encourage one another. But more importantly, alongside of that, we're able to open God's Word and to see truth. We're able to hear from God this morning. That's what we're about to do as we open God's Word, that we worship Him, but we're able to come to Him and hear what God has to speak to us through His Word. Would you pray with me as we begin to do that this morning? God, may you prepare our hearts. God, worship is, is such an incredible blessing to be able to have, but God, we Come now to open your word, eternal, never-changing, powerful word. It is full of truth. There is no error in it. It is God's spoken word. It is your word to us. It directs our life. It gives us clarity when we're in darkness. It is a light to our path. God, I pray this morning that it may do all of those things in our hearts. May we hear your word May it change our lives. God, may we, as people, continue to worship you, but as we go from here, bring glory to you in everything we do and everything we say. God, I pray that you may give me the words to say. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you open God's word to John chapter 8? John chapter 8. As I begin this morning, I I want to share with all of you, for those of you who are note-takers, or are going to Connect Group and you're ready to take notes, that I do not have any items that are going to be on the screens. So my main points are not going to be on the screen this morning. I say that because there are main points that I still have. So you still need to write some things down, but don't be waiting for that one aha main point. It's there, you just have to find it. All right. So just be working, writing through, taking notes just as usual. Just wanted to to give you a heads up for those of you who are uh, note takers. Probably the wife, right? The husbands are are just the listeners. That's how I am. I can't do anything else. I just need to listen. So John chapter 8, this is an interesting portion of text. There's a dialogue that takes place between Jesus and this Jewish group of people. And it's really a discussion which turns into an argument, which turns into a debate. And then there's personal attacks, slanders, There's a your mama joke that comes in to the text here. Literally there is, we're going to get to it, um, where they're attacking that. And then pretty soon they're ready to kill Jesus. As often this transpires throughout the Gospels, this is the way it looks. And so Jesus is going to share with us why some of these things happen. Why sometimes a conversation with an unbeliever can turn into an argument and debate very quickly where they get defensive and many times can lead 
to persecution of the faith. So I want to begin in verse 37, and it's important for us to understand who's speaking and when they're speaking. So 37 is Jesus, and he says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Jews respond, Abraham is our father. Jesus goes on, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of, that your father did. And here come the personal attacks. The Jews respond, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. What the Jews did here was allude to Jesus' miraculous birth, basically attacking his mom, saying, well, at least we have a father, and our father is a legitimate father. Where's yours? Where's your father? Oh, wait, we forgot, right? It was a personal attack against his mom and also against Jesus. Jesus responds not by lashing out personally against them, but says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. At this point, the crowd was getting angry, and Jesus preemptively responds, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is you are not of God. Jesus, in verse 37, affirms, if we look back, he says, I know you're the offspring of Abraham. Jesus was affirming and saying, listen, I know as the Jewish people, you are of the physical descent of Abraham. But then for the rest of the conversation, Jesus shows why they're not really Abraham's children. It's going to be a main portion of our text. In verse 38, he says, I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from yours. So at this point in the conversation, Jesus is not revealing to them who his father is and who their father is. This allows Jesus to build his whole case. And he's slowly doing that through the passage. He doesn't really deliver the final knockout punch until the very end. But he's delivering and preparing this whole case because from the very beginning, the Jews' perspectives was, you are from Satan, you're possessed, you're demon-possessed, and we are from God. And so throughout this text, they are fixated that they're of the lineage of Abraham. And they think that that builds their whole case, that they have an entitlement mindset, that they grew up in the faith, and because they grew up in the faith, and this is their forefathers, that they have a better or better access to God. This still happens in the church today. People who, you talk with them, and you can ask the question, hey, do you go to church anywhere? And they say, Oh, yeah, I go to such and such. And if you just ask them, hey, what's the pastor's name? A lot of times, they don't know. They don't know. Or they may say somebody who was a pastor 20 years ago because they haven't been in so long, but there's still this mentality in the church. 
I had it in my sermon before this took place, but it had taken, has taken place this week also. We often, as a church, receive phone calls from a hospital, and they'll call us and they say, hey, we're just letting you know that such and such is at this hospital in room such and such. And a lot of times we answer the phone and, and we get that message. And, and this last time I picked up the phone, I said, who? What was their name? Can you spell that? And, and you write it out. And I'm like, I don't know that person. Well, maybe it's just because I, I forgot. You know? So then I go and we talk to every single person on staff and nobody at the church knows them. And then you take their name. And of course, I try to Facebook it, right? How many of you Facebook people? Facebook stalking, right? They're, they're not on Facebook, which still means they can exist somewhere outside of Facebook. So I go into the church's database, and we don't have one single record of them ever in anything in the church's history. And so we try to reach out to this person, but the sad reality is they, they believe this is their church. Now, the odds of them coming and going and no one knowing them, not knowing their name, never hearing from them, never having a church record of any kind is a sad reality. Because what it means to be a, a church, to have something as a church body, means that you're part of a church. You're a contributing member. People know you. And so to have a church but nobody knows you is not to have a church at all. And so I hope and I pray that this person is just seeking out for spiritual guidance and this is a church they've came to. And of course, we're going to try as a church to follow up with them. But I, I hope and pray that they don't think that they have access or a ticket to heaven because of a, an attendance here at, at some time in the past, because that's not the way it works. We don't go to church to get into heaven. That's not the way it works. I go to church because I already have a ticket into heaven through Jesus Christ. I give to the church not because it ensures my salvation. It's because I'm saved. I give to the church. Because I'm saved, because God has done a work in me, I serve in the church. It's all of these things that flow from salvation, and many times the world thinks that you take these marks of a Christian, and if you put the marks on, giving, stewardship, loving one another, if you, if you look the part, then you must be the part. And this is what the Jews were doing. They were saying, listen, we're doing the works our Father told us to do. We're following the law, and this is what they were doing. They had the physical mark. They were of the physical lineage of the chosen people of God, and they thought that was enough. J.C. Ryle says this about them. The Jews forgot that fleshly relationship to Abraham was useless unless they shared Abraham's grace. These Jews forgot that God's choice of their father to be head of a favored nation was never meant to carry salvation to the children unless they walked in their father's footsteps. All this in their blind self-conceit, they refused to see. They said, we are Jews, we are God's children, we are the true church, we are in the covenant, we all must be right. This was their whole argument. The same arguments used today. And Jesus is about to inform us and them otherwise. Look in verse 38. Jesus says, I speak of what I have seen from my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. These, these Jews were probably thinking, finally, Jesus is starting to get it. This is what we've been telling him the whole time. We're following God, and you are following Satan. So when Jesus says, I, I'm just speaking on behalf of my Father, and you're speaking on behalf of yours and doing on behalf of yours. They're thinking, this is our whole point. 
You're filled with Satan. We're filled of God. And they think the more Jesus talks, the more it's bolstering their case. Isn't that a scary reality? Jesus is condemning them, but they think the more he's speaking, the more it's building up. They're like, yeah, we know you're following Satan. We're following God. This is the scary reality of having a wrong perspective can bring to our life. Having a wrong perspective leads to wrong assumptions and wrong conclusions very quickly. I have a personal story to illustrate how big of a difference and how big of a deal having a right perspective is. This happened probably about a year and a half ago. Our oldest was down for a nap, and I'm going to give the perspective from from my perspective first, what happened. In the living room, Amanda, my wife, was just, now that she had the child down, she had freedom, right? Put the baby down for a nap, there's freedom. She has at least 30 minutes, right? Probably two hours, but she's going to run out of the house. She was going to run to the grocery store. So she grabbed the keys, ran out the door. I could tell she was excited to just go, just to get out of the house for a little bit. And so I was there in the living room, watching out the window. She jumps in the car, turns on the car, just like any other, any other day, puts it in reverse, and all of a sudden, she flies out the driveway like full speed in reverse. I look, and it was so fast, I start running to the door to go help her. And so she's flying out the driveway in reverse. It looks like she's about to hit our neighbor's house. It's all in a split second. She jerks the steering wheel. The car almost does a, 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 you can see it like side tailing. And now she's going down the road all backwards. Okay, she almost hit a mailbox. She swerved again, almost hit another mailbox. I could tell she's frantic. By this time, I'm already out of the house, running down the road after my wife, going full speed in reverse down the road, swerving. And so there's a a four-way intersection coming up. Pretty soon, instead of hitting a mailbox or a house, she just floors it. This is all still in reverse. I, I see her driving like this into a ditch, up a hill, and into a bush. The car stops. She gets out of the car. I'm running to her, frantic, trying to figure out what's going on. She gets out of the car, looks at me, and points a finger. (laughs) Right? So, cut. Scene two, right? (laughs) Scene two, Amanda gets the keys, gets in the car, starts the car, puts the car in reverse, and all of a sudden, the car just takes off automatically. She hits the brake, nothing. She's hitting the brake, the car is not stopping. So she's about to hit the house behind her, and she's thinking, well, I don't want to hit that mailbox, I don't want to hit the house, better just swerve and get on the road. So now she's going backwards on the road. She's about to hit another house. The brake is still not working, so she says, forget the brake, move to something else. She starts trying to hit the emergency brake. She can't find the emergency brake or it's not working, so that is out too. So then it moves into minimize collateral damage. So she went from brake to emergency brake to I just need to make sure I don't hit a child, another car, and she knew, she knew there was a four-way intersection coming up, so she couldn't make it to that. She had to stop the vehicle by force without hitting a house or anything important or a life. So collateral damage was there's a bush, let's ram the bush. So she rams into the bush, and that's where our stories meet together. So who's right? Come on, who's right, church? Everybody knows who's right. 
So how did this happen? Well, this is the reality that perspectives matter. How it happened was, earlier, I changed the brake pads in the car. So, the reality is, and I did change them right, but afterwards, I did not pump the brakes to move them back against the rotors. So every time she pumped the brakes, they got a little closer, a little closer, a little closer, and before they, they got close enough to do anything, she's like, forget it. I'm not using the brakes anymore. She moved to the emergency brake. Some of you are wondering, why didn't the emergency brake work? Well, up until this point of our marriage, every car she's ever owned and every car we've had together has had the emergency brake on the floor. Well, this was a new car, and it had the emergency brake in the center, so she was trying to hit something that wasn't there, so she gave up on that too. And so the whole story was it was my fault, right? Thank God that she didn't hit a car or a person or anything else and that the car was okay, but that is the reality of perspectives. So when she got out of the car and she says, and her words were, are you trying to kill me? It makes sense that she could have thought that. But in reality, we, we didn't know what was happening until I got in the car and realized what it was. Well, the Jews in this situation, the reality is their perspective was the more Jesus spoke, the more it was bolstering their case. They did not have reality. They had a perspective that was false. This is the reality going back to Genesis 3 that when sin entered into the world, that we get so twisted in our perspectives that they're taking truth and not believing it, and they're believing a lie instead as truth. That as former unbelievers, as we were, we could twist and find a way to justify our sinful actions as good and to condemn pure actions as sinful. That's the perspective we had, and it happened naturally. The Jews' perspective was clouded by their sin nature. We see them continually justifying their case, clearly in verse 39. They said, they answered Jesus and said, Abraham is our father. Jesus responds, if Abraham's, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you're seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. In verse 41, Jesus again is building his point. He's not delivering the final blow. But he says, you're doing the works your father did. This is where the Jews personally attack and slander his miraculous birth. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus responds, if God were your father, then you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Jesus, in verse 43, he asks a rhetorical question. He says to them this, And there's four because words in this passage, and they're very important. Verse 43, why do you not understand what I say? That's the question Jesus asked them. Why do you not understand what I say? That's a question they can't answer. It's the same if I ask my child, why did you just hit your brother? My parents ask me that. They ask you that, right? And our answer would be, I don't know, because. I felt, I mean, we don't understand the real reason is because of sin, right? It's because we don't have a right perspective of good. And Jesus is asking them, why do you not understand what I say? And he answers it, it is because 
you cannot bear to hear my word. This word because is a conjunction word connecting two thoughts together. And this rhetorical question, why do you not understand what I say? He responds, because you cannot bear to hear my word. Now, this phrase can be taken two ways. The first is that the Jews simply couldn't bear the thought of it. They didn't like it. This would be kind of illustration as they couldn't bear the thought or the sound of fingernails on a chalkboard, right? I see some of you, like, cringing already. That would be that type of way, like, please don't do that. I don't like that sound. That's one way you could take it. But another way, you have to look at the Greek wording. And this is the way Jesus actually meant, because it's the wording he used. The Greek word here is dynamite. It's showing ability or power to do something. It's enabled by God. So Jesus is saying, it is because you are not able to hear my word. That's the Greek translation there. It's not, it's because you cannot bear to hear, but it's not bear to hear like a chalkboard sound that that bothers you. It's you cannot bear to hear because you don't have ability. You do not have power. You do not have God enabled power. That's the Greek word dynamite. So it's not they just didn't simply have a desire, it's that they couldn't. And Jesus says, that is why you do not hear my words. So Jesus this whole time is building up his right side of the argument, left side of the argument. And here coming up in verse 44, he delivers the final piece of information that's going to make these two sides click together in these group of this Jewish people's mind of what he's been saying the whole time. Because up to this point, they haven't figured it out. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. Up to this whole point, they've thought, Jesus, father's the devil, our father's God. And the whole case they've been building because they've had a wrong perspective. Verse 44, he finally connects this whole puzzle together and says, your father's the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Does not stand in the truth. And here's that word, because. Why? Because there is no truth in him. He doesn't stand in the truth because he has no truth. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus, in essence, is saying, listen, I'm not surprised by your actions because everyone acts the way their father acts. And your your father, he was a murderer from the beginning. By the way, that's why you want to kill me, because your father's a murderer. That's why you want to murder me. By the way, your father's a liar, that's why you're lying about me. Your father's deceitful, that's why you're deceiving people about me. He goes to the point and he says, you're acting just like your father and I'm acting just like my father. Terry preached last week that all of us are born into slavery of sin. All of us were once born into the family of Satan. He was once my spiritual father and I acted like him and I did things that pleased him. Till the blood of Jesus Christ changed my life. That was my spiritual father. So Jesus continues to teach about their spiritual state. Look in verse 45. This is a very interesting verse that may radically make you struggle theologically. Verse 45, he says, But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Because I tell the truth is why you don't believe me. Jesus is not saying, listen, if we don't believe someone, it may be because we don't think they're trustworthy. 
Or I don't believe you because you've been wrong a thousand times. Or I don't believe you because you don't understand the situation. Or I don't believe you because you're not educated. Or I don't believe you because you've lied to me so many times, right? Those are reasons we would say why we don't believe someone. But Jesus is saying, but because I tell the truth is why you do not believe me. How do you get away from that? What is he saying? But because I tell the truth is the reason why they did not believe. This goes back to that word, dynamite. It's the only way it makes sense. Because I have truth is why you don't believe. They can't receive truth. Why can't they receive truth? Because their father is the father of lies. They have no truth in them to be able to discern truth. This is why earlier in Scripture, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciple, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We can't understand truth until we have been given truth, right? And Jesus is saying, until you have truth, you can't receive truth. And he tells these Jewish people, he says, you're not able to receive truth. It's because I'm telling you the truth why you can't receive truth these things. So since they don't have truth, they can't know truth. This is why, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have the Word of God, and it is truth, and it reveals things in our life. It's how before we were a father of Satan, we rejected everything of God, but when God came and miraculously saved us by His grace, through faith, through Jesus Christ, it is a gift from God. It is not our works. It was not, I think I'm going to decide to believe the Word of God today. Jesus says we don't just think to decide to believe the Word of God because we can't believe truth on our own. It is imparted by God. He tells them, you can't believe me because it's truth. It's because it's truth you can't believe. I want to move to verse 46. He knew they were getting angry with him at this time. And he goes and says, because they were going to to take him to kill him, which was also unjust according to their laws. There was supposed to be a trial. So he knows their heart, and he says, Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He asks a simple question. And all throughout John, and all throughout this, Jesus is teaching on deep doctrinal truths of election predestination, the sovereignty of God. Why do you not believe me? It's because I tell the truth. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Verse 47, he wraps it all up and makes it very clear. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear is that you are not of God. This Greek word, dynamite. It's not that they just didn't like it. It's that they were deaf to it. They had no truth to be able to discern truth. Some of you might be thinking, or you might think as you leave this place, so what does being have, having to be a Jew or being a Jew at all have to do with anything? Do, do the Jewish people still have a place today? Does Israel still have a place in God's plan? I mean, are, are, are the Jewish people still God's chosen people, or are we God's chosen people, or are both of us God's chosen people, but there's a differentiation between the Jew and the Gentile? Or is this the church? Has it replaced the Jews or do they fit together? How does that work? Well, I just want to summarize a little bit where that comes from and what it is today. In Genesis 12, we see one of the most important redemptive events take place in Old Testament history. This is the call of Abram. 
This is God stepping down and choosing someone to be his special people. I want to read this text. You don't have to turn there. This is Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Notice it's from God. It's all about God. He doesn't do any part but just say, all right, I'm going. I'm doing. Abraham's family They came from Ur and Haran. They were pagans. They believed in the God called Sin. This was the name of their God. This was the moon God, and everyone worshipped it. So it's very probable that Abram and his family were Sin worshippers. Interesting, right? They worshipped this God, Sin. And so God steps down, and he calls Abram. Did Abram deserve to be called by God? Did he deserve God to choose him to be a nation that would be blessed? No. Are we any different? Well, Scripture clearly tells us we're no different. In Ephesians 2, it says, You were dead in the trespasses of your sins which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, Satan. And now it is the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of our body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Abraham was not worthy to be chosen, but God chose him by his grace. And we are no different today. The rest of Ephesians 2, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together. With him. So we see the Old Testament, God's grace in choosing the New Testament, God's grace. By faith, Abraham believed. We see in the New Testament, by grace, we have been saved through faith. It's not our own doing. Just as it wasn't Abram's doing, he didn't deserve it. It's not our doing. We don't deserve it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So today, it is by faith through the blood of Jesus Christ. Just as it was then, It is today. Romans 3.30, there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. The Jew and the Gentile, both together through faith. Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, there is no distinction between the Jew or the Gentile. Just like the Old Testament, we're called upon by faith, to call upon the name of Jesus Christ. By faith, we commit our lives to Christ. So what does the Bible teach about the Jewish people and the Gentile people? It is true that the Jewish people are the physical descendants of Abraham and can be traced back all that time. But Scripture and all through the New Testament, it doesn't speak highly of a physical descendant, see? It speaks highly of a spiritual ancestor. It says if we are spiritually in Jesus Christ, then we are the real descendants of Abraham. Do we understand that this morning, church? All through the New Testament, it doesn't talk about the physical lineage. It talks about the spiritual lineage. It says there's only one offspring. This means that as we read the Old Testament, whose history is this? Ours. 
right? Somebody who's a Jew can read through this, and physically, yeah, these are their physical descendants in the past. But Scripture says, no, the real descendants, and Jesus taught the real descendants of Abraham are those who believe in Jesus Christ. So when we read the Old Testament, and we read about men of faith, like Abraham and Isaac and David and Noah, these are men who are part of our spiritual ancestry. And so as we read this, it's part of our life. I want to end by looking at Galatians 3. And this gives a great summary and a picture to this Jewish and Gentile confusion that we sometimes have today. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the true sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing, listen to this, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith, that's us, church, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This means that since the beginning of time, we weren't an afterthought. Gentiles weren't an afterthought. They were always part of the original plan that anyone who called upon the name of the Lord would be, those descendants would be saved. It wasn't, well, I need to go to plan B because the Jewish people failed, so that was plan A. They messed up. I'm now going to go to plan B. No, Scripture says all the way back from before the call, that we were always part of the plan, that anyone who called upon the name of the Lord. Galatians 3.16, continuing on. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, singular. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, which would be like Jewish and Gentile. It says, no, he only has one offspring. Abraham only has one offspring. And who is it? But referring to those who are in Christ. Those are Abraham's true offspring. Galatians 3, 28 and 29, it goes to clarify even more. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. So the summary is, church, it always was about Jesus Christ. It always is about Jesus Christ, and it will always be about Jesus Christ. It's not one select people group. It's always about His Son. We're called to call upon Him, to believe upon Him, to confess, to repent, to trust in Jesus Christ. It is by faith, but it is a gift. It is by grace that God has done these things. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank You for Your love and for Your grace. What a mercy and a gift it is. God, to think even from the beginning, going all the way back, we weren't an afterthought. God, it should bring joy to our hearts. God, that you have saved us. We weren't deserving of it, just as Abraham wasn't deserving. God, as we sang earlier, I once was lost in darkness night, that I followed the passions, the desires of my flesh. That's the way I went. That's the way I wanted to go. That's the way I would have kept going. But you intervened, and you have given me far greater than this world can ever offer. God, I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, that it not only covers my sins, but it completely wipes them away. God, that I am a child of God.
God, I pray for the one here who may struggle with that and may not believe it or hasn't yet to come to believe that. God, I pray that you get a hold of their heart. May they call upon you as Lord and confess their sin. We all need a Savior. God, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for what you have done and what you're doing in this church. God, I thank you that we're able to come and hear your word this morning. I pray for our week. God, may you continue to lead us and guide us in ways that are going to bring you honor and glory in all things. I I pray for the one who's struggling here this morning. May you encourage them. May you lift them up. God, may you give them a peace that surpasses understanding. May they be a light in the midst of the trials they face to this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.